0: Good evening, nice to be with you. As a quick reminder, if you want to text questions during the sermon, then please do, and we'll be chatting about them afterwards, so there's a number and a reminder for you again. Um, So this evening, we're thinking about climate change and how we as Christians can respond to it, not as an extra burden or thing to add to our to-do list. But how can responding to the climate crisis be an invitation to worship God with all of our everyday lives? At um, Tear at Fund, we've been talking about climate change for quite a long time. We first uh, campaigned about it in 1992 uh, because we were beginning to see the impacts of the climate crisis on um, the communities where we were working. Um, and we've continued to work on it um, since then And we're increasingly seeing the impacts all around the world of droughts becoming more severe, or flooding more extreme, storms becoming more powerful and regular, um, and temperatures rising, all of it um, making it much harder for communities to lift themselves out of poverty, or undoing the progress that communities have worked so hard to achieve. So we're going to be thinking about how do we as Christians here uh, respond to the climate crisis and to do so we're going to be exploring a very familiar passage to many of you probably um, in Luke 10 verses 25 to 37, the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, this is probably the most famous story that um, Jesus tells, Uh, one many of us will know. But sometimes when we become really familiar with Jesus' words, it's easy to lose the sense of power and challenge um, of his teaching. So today, I hope we can come to this text afresh um, and see what God might be drawing out from it for us as we consider how do we respond to the challenge of climate change today. So Jesus is asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? An expert in the law comes to him and says, what does it look like? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And his response is to describe what it looks like to love God and neighbor in action. And then he says, go and do likewise. And this isn't a one-off. A few chapters later, um, Jesus is asked the same question by the rich young ruler. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And this time, Jesus says, go, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story of the sheep and the goats, a passage where there is a lot for us to unpack. But for the sake of this evening, I want you to notice what Jesus says to the sheep whom he welcomes. He doesn't say, I welcome you because you've got a top quality Sunday attendance record or because you followed all of these religious laws. Instead, Jesus says, I welcome you because when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. And they said, Jesus, when did we see you like this? And he said, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus challenged his listeners again and again to allow their love of God to transform their lives, to allow their worship to overflow into loving their neighbors and pursuing justice for the oppressed. We see this in John's letter to the church as well. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So in Luke 10, Jesus is asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says... We must love God and love our neighbors. Then in verse 29, uh, Jesus is asked a second question. The expert in the law says, and who is my neighbor? But Luke tells us this isn't a genuine question. He's trying to get himself off the hook for this not to cost him too much. And in response, Jesus shares that most famous of stories. An unidentifiable man is left at the side of the road. A priest and a Levite hurry on by, two religious leaders. Perhaps they were worried the robbers were still nearby, and so if they stopped, it would put their safety at risk. Or maybe they were on their way to the temple, and actually stopping if he was dead would make them unclean and stop them from being able to fulfill their duties. Maybe they were worrying about the Old Testament laws. But either way, they were worrying, what will happen to me if I stop here? And they chose to stick to their own plans for the day, to hurry on by. And then comes the Samaritan, who doesn't only think about himself or his own plans, but asks, what will happen to this man if I don't stop? For the good Samaritan loving his neighbour cost him dearly. Stopping cost him his plans and potentially his safety. Bandaging his wounds and paying for his accommodation would have cost him financially. But out of love, he gave generously and sacrificially. And Jesus says, this is what love looks like. Increasingly on the news and online, we're seeing the impacts of climate change around the world. Whether it's huge fires in the US and Australia, um, or floods in different places. I live in Worcester, and we're seeing floods way more regularly than they used to happen. I have friends at church whose homes are flooded almost every year now. But around the world, we're seeing the impacts even more clearly. In the past few weeks, we've seen record floods in Bangladesh, the worst for over 100 years, destroying people's homes. And at the same time, in the Horn of Africa, in Ethiopia, Kenya and Somalia, people are experiencing the worst drought and extreme heat since current record-keeping began. For three rainy seasons in a row, there has been little to no rain, And now more than 20 million people are on the brink of severe water and food shortages. My colleagues there were telling me that crops are withering and that um, as you go along the roads, livestock are just lying dead by the roadside. And yet, despite these horrific examples near and far of the impacts of climate change, the world's emissions are still going upward and any plans to reduce them are woefully inadequate for what this is going to cost our global neighbors. So Jesus challenges the expert in the law and all of us who listen in on their conversation. Will we be people who love God and love our neighbors in action, not considering the cost to ourselves, but choosing to be interrupted by the suffering of others? And in doing so, encountering the face of Jesus in the poor and the oppressed. As he uh, reminded people in Matthew 25, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. But as well as thinking about the Samaritan in the story, there are some other characters I think it's worth us considering. So in the story, as Jesus tells it, the man is lying by the side of the road, because of what the robbers did to him in the first place. And as we consider this story and the context of climate change today, we should ask, who are the robbers in today's reality? And for many years, we didn't really know the answer to that question. We used coal and oil and gas and saw huge prosperity and progress for many as a result. But today, um, it's pretty clear for us to see the driving forces behind climate change, the cause of people's suffering by the side of the road today, is that our society is hooked on overconsumption and ever greater convenience, that we use up more and more of the world's resources, regardless of the impacts it's having around the world. The way our economy and society is set up, the way our power comes to our homes, the way our food is grown, um, the way we travel, all of it, um, it's helping to push creation to breaking point. And it's robbing others of their most basic of needs. In Romans 13, Paul uh, reminds the church of Jesus' teaching in Luke 10, and he says, Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Yet the society and systems that we participate in that uh, we're trapped in are causing huge harm to our neighbors around the world. And as followers of Jesus, I think there's a challenge for us. We can't sit by and see this harm take place. But out of love, love for our creator God, for our neighbors, we must respond. And in the previous chapter of Romans, I think Paul helps us to think about how we do that. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. If Paul was writing that today, perhaps some of the patterns he would write about are patterns of disbelief, that, um, that if we get a diagnosis, there's no such thing as miraculous healing But that's a pattern that we don't conform to as followers of Jesus. We know God is at work in the world today doing the miraculous. Some of the other patterns of this world that Paul might talk about are patterns of overconsumption that say, this creation has no value, no worth, there's no one who loves it, so I'm just going to use it up and throw it away. Or patterns of entitlement that say, I deserve a cheap T-shirt, even if someone is forced into slavery to make it somewhere else. But I would say as people who know a God of justice, a God who loves his creation, and as people who know humans are created in the image of God, we're called not to conform to those patterns of this world, the broken patterns of this world, but instead to be transformed, to fix our eyes on the God of justice, the God who loves this creation and calls all of it very good, and say, God, would you transform me to see people and creation as you do? And would you use me as part of your mission in this world? In the previous verse to this in Romans 12, Paul writes in, in the message version of it, it says, take your everyday ordinary life, your eating, sleeping, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. That actually, as we choose not to conform to the broken patterns of this world and have our minds transformed, we're invited to live a life where all of our everyday actions are an opportunity to both love God and love our neighbor. There there is an invitation that all of our mundane decisions of everyday life can be part of bringing glory to the God who we love and worship. Jesus teaches those listening in Luke 10 that loving God should not only transform our own lives, but flow out to the world around us. And that by fixing our eyes on God and allowing that love to take root in us, we are changed from the inside out. So in response to the climate crisis, I think we can learn three things from the Good Samaritan story. First, loving God and, his, and fixing our eyes on him has to be our first priority. His love is what will transform us and transform the world. And it's what will strengthen us in the tasks ahead. And God's beautiful creation can help us to do that. Again and again, Jesus says to people in the Gospels um, about the power of a mustard seed or the relentlessness of weeds or the character of birds, pointing to his creation of saying, look, notice my father and his love in the world around you. When you go on your next commute or dog walk or look out of the window, how can you use that as a prompt to worship God who loves his creation? We are called to be people who first love God and are transformed by his love for us. Second, we're called to love our neighbors. Our love for God must lead us into practical action. The good Samaritan didn't offer a thought and a prayer and walk on by, but chose to be interrupted, to have his life disrupted by the suffering of others. And for us, that could look like making those everyday decisions as part of our worship, to show love for our neighbors and to care for creation. And for me, this has totally transformed my own worship and my own relationship with Jesus. As I'm cycling to a train station early in the morning instead of driving, or as we're switching our diet to reduce how much meat we eat, or when we're thinking about what banks we use, or energy providers before there was this whole crazy crash, and things like that, all can be part of my worship. As I walk around a supermarket and choose fair trade things and ethical things, I can think this is part of me bringing glory to God and loving my neighbors around the world who are already impacted by this. How can we love our neighbors with our everyday decisions? And then third, Paul's teaching in Romans challenges us to recognize that loving our neighbors means we can't sit by while the world we're part of is causing so much harm. There's a challenge for us not to be silent, but to speak up and challenge the systems and the structures that are around us. I was speaking to someone in London recently who works for a big financial company, and he um, courageously stepped up and spoke to his manager and said that he cared about climate change as a Christian and he wanted to know what the company could do about it. And now they run lots of conferences and meetings in lots of places, and he got them to agree that they would give their surplus money for their budgets for these different events um, to funds that would help people impacted by climate change. Now, I think there's still a lot of people flying around the world for these different meetings and conferences, but they've committed to give that money, that portion of money, every time they run an event to those impacted by the climate crisis. Not a perfect solution, but way more than would have than would have happened if he didn't have the courage to speak up. There's a challenge for us. How can we speak up to our schools, our workplaces, our families, our churches, our denominations, our politicians, our councils, and say what more can be done about the climate crisis? As a Christian, I care about this world and the people in it. I shared at the beginning um, about the huge impacts of your Christmas giving as part of the rubbish campaign and the ways that when thousands of Christians across the UK spoke up, we saw huge changes from the world's biggest plastic polluters. And I'd love to invite you to be part of speaking up with us again today. On your seat, you will probably notice these little cards um, if you have a look, there's loads of information in there, but back in 2009, a while ago now, we ran a campaign calling on world leaders to provide a fund that would help communities adapt to the changing climate. So changing things to like drought-resistant crops or wells that would cope better um, in times of drought or preparing for disasters like floods. And it was a campaign that, yet again, we as the church speaking up together won, and our Prime Minister, Gordon Brown at the time, and other world leaders committed to creating this fund and paying into it every year to help communities adapt to the climate crisis. But even though... 2009 was a long time ago. Um, That promised money still hasn't been fully delivered all these years later. And so this year, we're calling on them again to say, now must be the time that you fully deliver this money. The impacts are huge all around the world. And there are solutions appearing all over the place of uh, local energy systems and ways of farming that are sustainable. And if this money was accessible, those solutions could scale up in communities around the world. And so you'll see there's a little uh, panel in there where you can add your details and you can tick the boxes or not, depending on if you want to hear from us, either is totally fine. But by adding your name, you can add your voice to the campaign, as so many of you did with the rubbish campaign, and help us to put pressure on world leaders this year to see that money finally delivered. And there's a couple boxes either side by each door that you can put them in at the end. So as I finish, let me uh, remind you of those three things that we can learn from the Good Samaritan story. First, Jesus says, love God. Let us root ourselves in God's love for us and his love for all of creation. Practically take time to notice the goodness of God in the creation around us and allow that to lead us into worship. Second, allow God's love to transform us and lead us into love for our neighbors through our everyday actions, how we travel, eat, power our homes, manage our money or anything else, doing all of it as an act of worship, a way of caring for creation and loving our neighbors. And then finally, love does no harm to a neighbor. So let's be people who speak up, who don't sit by as harm is caused to so many, but sign petitions or speak to our workplaces, our families and friends and say, what more can we be doing? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your extraordinary love for us, that while we were still sinners still so far away, you chose to come here and die for us. We thank you for the way that you've transformed each of our lives. And God, we thank you for this beautiful world that you've put us in as well, for the beauty of the stars and the plants and the world all around us. And we're sorry for the ways that we've damaged that and the ways that our society and systems have caused so much harm. We cry out for our brothers and sisters around the world, those in Ethiopia and Bangladesh and so many other places that have been impacted by the climate crisis already. God, we long to see your kingdom come, and we ask would you use us to be people who care for your creation, who show the world your love through the ways that we live and act and speak. And we pray for world leaders and companies that there would be a real change of heart, that they would see the harm being caused and act really quickly. Jesus, thank you that you are creator, sustainer and redeemer, that we have hope in you despite any circumstances. Would you use us in this world to be beacons of hope and change? Amen.
1: Amen. Excellent. If you would like to take a seat, that would be wonderful. I'm going to ask you some wonderful questions. Great. Uh, Just quickly, as uh, Dave is sorting all of that out, just tell us in a nutshell, how did you get involved with Tearfund?
0: How did I get involved? I actually became a Christian in a Tearfund talk many, many years ago. I grew up in church Mm -hmm. um, and was listening to talks and it never quite caught me. And then at a summer festival, there was a speaker from Tear Fund, and they were talking about God's mission and his invitation to us to be part of what he was doing. And they were telling stories of uh, Christians all around the world. And I was thinking, this is amazing. This sounds really exciting. And so I went up at the end and I said, I wanna be part of this, I wanna know what this is. And they said, well, it's just knowing Jesus, like you need to know Jesus. And so then that was the beginning of the journey. Wow. So yeah, Jesus and justice has always been tangled up together for me.
1: Brilliant. Excellent. Okay, so we've got these. Yeah. We are writing to our Prime Minister. Our Prime Minister has got quite a lot on his um, plate at the moment. He's got a (laughs) a, a few things going on. And I suppose in the world of politics, in the wider world, Christians don't really have that much of, it could be said, an influence that we're quite marginalised into one side. So we fill this in. Yeah. Two questions. Number one... How effective is it? And number two, what part does us praying alongside this hold in the whole process?
0: Brilliant questions. Um, So, how effective is it? I think sometimes we can get disillusioned with petitions because they arrive in our inbox, we'll click to add our name, and then we don't hear anything about it. Um, But for us, there's like so much work that goes alongside the petitions, but the petitions kind of really strengthen the cause of saying, actually, it's not just a couple of us who are saying this, but there's yeah. thousands of us across the UK or around the world, um, and, and it opens doors as well. So we can meet with different politicians or the prime minister and say, actually, there's thousands of people who are asking for this. We need to be uh, talking about the solution. So they can have a big impact. And the role of prayer is massive. So one of the things that um, I did a couple of years ago was help set up a, a WhatsApp a prayer update every week for Tear Fund around issues of climate change. And I think it's moved on to texts now. Uh, but just giving people updates about what was happening and ways that they could be praying. And we've seen God um, answer prayers in amazing ways. So one example is that the UK um, has funded fossil fuel projects all around the world, spent billions scaling up fossil fuels, even though we know about the climate crisis. And we were campaigning about all of this money that the UK spends and asking them to move the money to renewables. Um, We were doing that for quite a long time. We were getting closer and closer, thinking, oh, maybe we're going to win. And we were working with Friends of the Earth and others on the campaign. And uh, we were getting closer and closer. um, And we heard it was being talked about in Downing Street. And so we messaged everyone and said, please, would you pray with us? It's being talked about. And then it all went quiet, and we didn't really know what was going on. And other organizations we were working with were saying, oh, maybe we just need to plan to go again next year. We've tried all our tactics. We'll have to try something else. Um, AND SO THEN WE MESSAGED EVERYONE AGAIN AND WE SAID, IT'S GONE QUIET, WOULD YOU JUST PRAY WITH US? WE'RE JUST GOING TO KEEP PRAYING AND BELIEVING THAT GOD IS AT WORK IN THIS SITUATION. And so we kept praying, and literally a week later, we heard it was being talked about in Downing Street again. So we updated everyone, said it's being talked about. Would you keep praying with us? And then Boris Johnson came out and announced that the UK would be the first major economy to stop funding fossil fuels in developing countries and to begin moving that money into renewables. And it was one of those things that was in the space of three or four weeks, we saw a total U-turn from the government talking about it and being like, no, nah, we're not going to do this. And then lots of secular organisations being like, okay, we're going to have to try again another year. And then just Christians faithfully play, praying and believing and seeing like a massive turnaround in politics in a matter of weeks, which was like really exciting mm-hmm. to be on, like watching it happen. Um, yeah, so prayer has a huge part to play in this, I would say.
1: Is there a way that people can access those prayer points?
0: Yes. Yeah, so if you go to tearfund.org forward slash Pray for Climate, Um, then there's a phone number on there and you just text us and then we sign you up.
1: Brilliant, someone has asked, is there a way I can sign the petition online so my card can be reused?
0: What a great question. There is, if you go to (laughs) tierfund.org forward slash climate, or I think there's a QR code on there somewhere, but yeah, forward slash climate, and then it will take you through to the campaign.
1: There is a QR code on the back there if you would like to do that. Now, also with this, this is about um, releasing finances. Uh What would you say to the person that would look at what's going on in our country and would say, there's a real crisis here, there are people that are really struggling to pay their bills, to live, to eat, to uh, fuel their homes? How do you... How do you kind of... uh, (laughs) What's more important? (laughs) Should the government... Should we be badgering the government to give money to this? Or should we be saying to the government, actually, there's a finite pot of money Mm. that needs to go back into our country because people are really struggling? What would you say into that? Sorry.
0: Yeah, I would say that sometimes that is an unhelpful comparison because actually, like, the government have such huge budgets to play with. Um, This money has been promised for a long time and actually, um, those suffering, especially in the Horn of Africa at the moment, Oxfam estimate one person is dying every 48 seconds from hunger um, at the moment in Ethiopia and Kenya and Somalia. Um, and i say that's pretty urgent for us. Absolutely. And when we think about the good Samaritan, he like him stopping was really costly to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a challenge for us of, of responding to this in a way that it like, even if it costs us, but that's that's both overseas and at home, that actually like, we need to respond to the climate crisis in a way that brings justice and like, fairness for everyone. So we can't respond to climate change in a way that makes people poorer, whether in this country or in other countries. We need to respond in a way that um, helps to tackle poverty at the same time. So whether that's like insulating people's homes in the UK, so their energy bills drops and things like that, instead of um, prioritizing other things that benefit the wealthy instead of the poor.
1: Good answer. Excellent. Uh, Another question. In today's society, everything is so fast paced and working full time can make it difficult to easily make changes for the climate. Have you got some tips for quick and easy solutions that will start to make a difference?
0: Great. Um, Yeah, I would say for me, the big lesson was doing one thing at a time and seeing Mm -hmm. it as a journey. So when I was at uni, me and my flatmates decided overnight, we were gonna go vegan, zero waste, organic and local all at (laughs) once. And it was awful. (laughs) And within a couple of days, one of my flatmates was really ill. (laughs) It was not the way to do it. Um, And so I would say, do one thing at a time and, and see it as a journey with Jesus not as like this isn't about becoming a Pharisee and actually you can't be a Christian if you've not got a bamboo toothbrush or something ridiculous like that like this is a journey of just saying actually this is part of my worship and I'm just going to try one thing at a time so I think some easy things to start with might be thinking about how we travel whether we can walk and cycle more that saves us some money especially at the moment Um, or whether there's like ways of switching our diet around so trying more vegetarian or uh, plant-based food um, and reducing how much meat we eat Um, things like that are easy wins um, and like things that will save us money as we go other things can sometimes be more expensive but one thing i found i did a year me and my wife did a year of living zero waste so we had a jar that was about this big for all of our rubbish for a year and one thing that we found was that actually choosing to limit ourselves saved us loads of money because we couldn't have chocolate, and we couldn't have crisps, and we had to go without so many things because we had one jar that had to be all of our rubbish for the year, and, and choosing to set those limits then meant we saved lots of money. Um, and so, but that's countercultural because our world says you can have whatever you want whenever you want it. Um,
1: How big was the jar?
0: About this big. It was a kilner jar. Could
1: you like fit a Domino's pizza box in there? (laughs) No, I don't think so. (laughs) It's a bit of a tough life, this, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Someone's messaged in. The UK government gets £650 billion of tax revenue each year, so there should be plenty for both home support And climate change support. Oh, great. Thank you for answering the question. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay. If it was you in the story before you gave your life to Christ, who would you relate to the most in the parable? Oh. I know, left field.
0: Yeah. Who would I relate to most in the story? I maybe personally relate more to the priest or the Levite, which is weird because they're the religious ones in the story. But I think, like, I was just busy getting on with my own life and not worrying about anything else. Just like, oh, I want to go in this direction or do my own thing. Um, And I think that's been a big challenge of following Jesus, of actually laying down my own life and my own ideas and of being Mm -hmm. like, God, what are you up to and how can Mm -hmm. I join in? So, yeah, probably the priest or the Levite. That's a great question. It
1: is, excellent. Uh, You talk of our needing to love God and love our neighbour in order to inherit eternal life. Is salvation the reward for our living well or the cause of it?
0: Say the last bit. Is the salvation the...
1: The reward for our living well or the cause of it?
0: Oh, surely it has to be the cause of it. I don't think Jesus is saying we inherit eternal life by being good. Like he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he, he says, like, those who come to me will will know me. And like he doesn't this, yeah, whether or not you live an eco life is not the way to heaven. Um, but I think his challenge is that if we really love him, it will transform us because his love can't leave us as we are. It's too good to leave us as we were. And I think his his challenge to those who are listening, so many religious people were in his audience, and he was saying, look, the the sheep who really know me have been transformed, Mm -hmm. they feed the hungry, they Mm -hmm. provide water to the thirsty, they've really encountered my love, and they're transformed by it. And I think that's a challenge for us because it can be easy to get comfortable or take God's Mm -hmm. love for granted, but Mm -hmm. as we get to know him more and more, we're like, we can't sit still or stay as we are. Yeah, it has to be the cause of it. Mm
1: -hmm. Brilliant. You've answered all of those questions wonderfully. Uh, I've got one more just to throw at you that I know Joy wants me to ask and always asks. Do animals go to heaven? Oh. Because that's part of creation, isn't it, Joy? You know, there's always a question that she wants to know the answer to.
0: Be I would careful say... how
1: you answer because you've got to get past her on your way out.
0: <laughs> I would say 100%. When Isaiah is talking about, like, he, he gives this vision of, like, the like a time when there's no more tears or suffering or anything like that. And in that vision of what, like, God's shalom and goodness looks like, he says the lion is lying down with the lamb and the snake aren't biting children's feet. And there's this place of goodness of creation. So I'd say they're 100% there. If you look at the narrative of scripture, you see that God loves his creation all the way through it. Mm -hmm. He calls it very good at the beginning. Even in the story of Noah, which is like a super destructive moment, God chooses to save All of the different things he's made and it carries on all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament that God loves this creation and He he knows it intimately and He wants us to look after it. So I think heaven would be quite sad without animals.
1: Donald, if you're watching, good evening. (laughs) He speaks the word of God. Love it. Can I say thank you on behalf of us all for joining with us today, for sharing with us and for answering those questions?